My name is Josh Snodgrass, and you're listening to Farming on Mars. This week's episode is a conversation with Josh Snodgrass, who's a farmer in Crosby County. We talked about how he got started farming, the goals that he has for his operation, and daily habits that benefit him as a farmer. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. My name is Josh Snodgrass, and I farm in Crosby County, Texas. How did you get into farming? Well, my situation over here was probably a little different than most people's because I didn't necessarily start out with my dad, but I did grow up on a farm in Lubbock County. And uh, just because we were friends with, I was friends with somebody in high school and kind of started helping their dad over here. And then it just kind of blossomed into what I am now. Mm -hmm. So I didn't necessarily take over a family farm. So I guess you could somewhat call it a first generation, but not really. I mean, it's, I mean, I've done it forever and my family still owns land in Lubbock County, but I don't farm it. Oh, when did you start farming? Uh, 2012 was my first year. I graduated college. I graduated Texas Tech in 2011. And then my first year was 2012. So I missed the big drought, but we were still starting starting on the pretty bad year, I guess. Started in Owens, Texas. was where my first farm was. was. Farmed some stuff for the Cadells down there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The guy that got me going, it was just, he kind of made me a really, a really good deal uh, in... I mean, it wasn't a good deal. It was was something that I always wanted to do, I guess. Uh, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, um, I mean, I knew I wanted to farm. I I think I went through a spell there for a while where I didn't didn't really think that it was right, and I didn't know that I would have the opportunity either. And so I guess whenever the opportunity hit, it was just like I knew it was meant to be, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think – I guess land over here is, it's, it, at the time was pretty plentiful. It's really not now. I mean, it's, it's very competitive. But uh, over there, I mean, the closer you get to Lubbock, the, the more competitive it gets with, you know, city life and people oh, yeah. moving into housing and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know. It was, a, it, was, it was a little different moving to a new town. And, I mean, I, I feel at home here, but it's still not home either, you know, mm-hmm. to some extent. I mean, I've been here long enough. I guess it feels like home. What were some of the challenges that went along with that? Uh, I, I think that, you know, even, even after I've, I've made a name for myself here, I mean, everybody here knows me, but that still, they still know I'm not from here. So I think I kind of have to step up a little bit and, and kind of give people some reassurance, give some landowners some reassurance. You know, some of, some of them don't necessarily matter but i mean that that name means a lot you know just you know if your dad was here your granddad was here whoever else it's kind of i can feel like as as land owners look into stuff i I feel like they you know might you it might put you at a little bit of a disadvantage because you don't have a name Mm -hmm. but like i said i've made an I've, i've made a name for myself now i think but it's still it's still not i'm still not from here either so uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a different, different aspect, I guess. Kind of makes me. I don't. I don't feel disadvantaged. I'm not saying that, but it's a. It's just different. It is. It's totally different. It's a totally. It was a totally different way of starting than most people start. Uh, and I did. I started working for somebody else, and then I worked. And I worked all through college for the 
for the guy here in Crosbyton and uh, actually started somewhat in high school. And uh, it was all because we were, I, I think I was about a junior or so in high school and uh, we were over at his daughter, their house. I was friends with his daughter in high school and we were over there watching a movie and my dad had finished stripping cotton for the year and he walked in and he just goes, you know how to drive a cotton stripper. Why don't you just show up to work tomorrow? And that's how it started. Yeah. <laughs> and you know him. He's kind of, I don't know. I'm not scared of him by any stretch, but he's, whenever he says something, everybody listens. Mm-hmm. So that's just the way it worked. <laughs> so how were your first few years farming? Uh, 2012, I was, which I started out on dry land. I had a section of dry land. And 2012 was pretty pretty rough i if i remember right i think we i didn't have a cotton crop in 2012 um we lost lost the crop i can't remember if it was hail or kind of drought or a little bit of both um the farm that i was on it needed a break it needed some tlc it was kind of uh it was a little bit weedy and had some issues and so we kind of spent that first year cleaning it up and and uh I guess my first year, so my first year was an insurance year, but everybody's was in 2012, or we were still in a pretty big drought. But um, the second year, it, it, I hit one. I mean, I had a really good dry land crop, and I was on one of your podcasts. I can't remember who it was, but somebody said that as you get started, you kind of need a good breakthrough year, mm-hmm. and that's there's a lot of truth to that. And I, I fully, I every everything that I think that I've gotten now was because of 2013. I mean, it was it was a great a great great year for me. And of course, whenever you're first starting out, and the way I started out, I didn't have a lot of bills. I didn't have I didn't owe a lot of money on equipment. I didn't. I mean, it was just kind of all profit kind of deal. And then you hit a big year on top of that, and it started the the snowball of of buying stuff and paying cash for it. I guess, so, mm-hmm. which helps. <laughs> um, well, I guess I guess I could say I'm still waiting for my breakthrough year, but that was that was the breakthrough year at that point. Whenever you started, did you have kind of like an equipment plan, like an idea of like what you wanted to buy next this year, like this year to the next? Like what the I tell I tell were? a lot of young people that ask me questions in, in West Texas. I'm pretty sure everybody's first piece of equipment needs to be a sand fighter, and that was my first piece of equipment, and and I think I bought one from Hearst Farm Supply, and it wasn't new or anything like that, but. Uh, bought one off. It came out of Slayton. I still don't even remember where it came from. I still have it today, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that. You know, I don't care how no-till, minimum-till, whatever you are, you're still going to need to keep a sand fighter around because there's going to be times where we're going to have to have one. But uh, I did, I, I guess I did have a plan, and that 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 breakthrough or that good year that I had, I'm not going to call it a breakthrough year, but that 2013, it was a really good crop. We had a really good dry land crop, and I, I've always, I've kind of been taught around here, dry land, dry land kind of can make you money. Irrigated keeps you floating floats the boat pays the bills but dry land is the one that you can you can put some money up and you know i i know these last several years have been kind of rough i think and and i mean you talk to these guys that have been farming for 50 60 years they're you know they they see a broad average of stuff and i'm looking at just a 10-year stretch and so my my averages are different than theirs but all in all i've probably made more profit off of dry land than i have off of irrigated i mean just because there's so much profit there and you just have to really like mind your P's and Q's and watch mm-hmm. what you put into something to make sure that you're not too far in, you know, whether it's fertilizer or seed or equipment, whatever it is, especially these guys that are all dry land. But I think it's always pretty good to be a, have a mix of it. And I hope we can always have that. I, I know we won't, but 
I wish, I hope it can go as long as, you know, I hope it lasts a lot longer than what we think it's going to last. Cause ir- irrigated helps out too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the one that it's the one, it's the one that keeps you floating from one year to the other. But the one that, the one that buys farms, I think is dry land in my opinion. Interesting. <laughs> uh, so you think like your margin is better on dry land? I do. Yeah. I think if you, and that's, that's what, that's what makes me feel really good about this year. It's been, I kind of see you know, again, this is just a 10 year average that I've been doing this, but it seems like about every, about every five years we hit a pretty big dry land crop. Mm-hmm. Like and what about the years in between? I think you have one really bad one, one really good one, and then the three in the middle are just average, you know. And I think, uh, you know, in the same way with ten years, about it. And you and you think back in the last ten years, it's it kind of holds true. I remember moving over here, you know, being taught that oh, you can make a lot of money off dry land if you do this right. You know, this this is you can you can make a pretty big operation. I remember my dad going, "You're never going to make it." He said, if you rely totally on, because they're, they're 100% irrigated. And I remember here going, you'll never make it off dry land. Well, we, we need to learn. <laughs> Interesting listening to people that have mainly irrigated or mainly dry land because mm-hmm. they have different opinions. Everybody on has what different opinions. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it depends on your personality a lot too and what, like, what you want to do. I think it's, I think as I grow, I really think it's important to be like a 50-50 mix because you really do get a little bit of both. And you've got to learn how to do dry land. I mean, as a young farmer, young guys, you've got to know how to do it because we will we will see the day that there's not any more irrigation around here. Um, I think there'll probably always be like some pockets of water. But, you know, if I've got a pivot right now that we're watering 400 acres in 25, 30 years, we might only be watering 50 so, I mean, I think there'll always be a certain amount of it. I don't think it's just going to, I told somebody this today that I remember 10, 15 years ago, they're going oh, in, in 10 years, there's not going to be any more water. Well, now we're 10 years down the road and we're still watering. Mm-hmm. I think we're better equipped for it. I think we know it's coming, but I think we really have to, I, I think seeing that 50, 50 scenario to it just to me it, it feels right like yeah because like i said i think that irrigated pays your bills but you know your your profit margin is a little smaller because it costs you a lot and the, the more water we run out of the more it's going to cost us i think it's easier to pencil irrigated dryland's hard for sure <laughs> it's hard i mean and it's it's these last several years have really it kind of hurts i mean it's one of those ones that it hurts you because you, you start the year and you're like, I'm going to hit one. This one's it. And then for some reason, it just quits raining in June or mm-hmm. July. I don't know. Uh, let's see. What was it? Two years ago. And we got all that rain right around planting season mm-hmm. and everything was perfect. I've never planted in more perfect conditions. I mean, it was, we had a, all the irrigated got flooded whenever we got, you know, nine inches of rain on top of it. But then whenever we got to the dry land and started planting the dry land, it was just planting so beautiful. And you're just sitting there going, wow, we have so much moisture underground. This is, you know, we get one or two rains. We're going to, that's, that's what's cool about dry land and, and cotton in general. I mean, if you get one good rain in July and a good rain in August, you're, you're set. I mean, you know, you think about this irrigated stuff and we just spoon feed it all summer long and you're just going, oh, let's put out another half an inch. It's just half inch after half inch after half inch. And, you know, you get a couple good rains on some dry land and have your stuff set up right and make five, six, seven hundred pounds on dry land. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, when you talk with somebody from the Carolinas or, you know, or Virginia or somebody like that, I mean, they're break even on dry land, you know, in quotations. That's not dry land, in my opinion, whenever it gets 50 inches of rain on it. But 
I mean, those guys break evens or, you know, they have to make two bells to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there going, you know, we can make it work on half a bell. I mean, we're not making any money, but we can do it. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you think about our county average, it is. It's 250 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, but you can double that number and that's, that's a good crop. Like I, I knew I was really interested, and I think the younger generation for sure is super interested in, in technology, whether it's GPS or, you know, newer, more uh, advanced tractors or bigger equipment or whatever it is. And I, I think everybody likes that. And I knew I wanted to be there, so I knew I kind of had to somewhat grow because you can't justify that on just a few small acres. Um, you know, uh so as I grew, I don't know that I really had a plan. I guess my biggest plan, I went to a lot of farm sales. Everybody around here calls mm-hmm. me the farm sale king because I don't usually miss one. And, you know, you kind of realize what stuff goes for and what the prices of stuff are. And, you know, you can, you have in the back of your mind, well, I need this. And, and I guess this is something else too, seeing somebody, whenever you see another operation and I knew what I, I knew what I was aiming for and I knew as far as equipment, what he had, mm-hmm. And I was like, well, he has one of these, so maybe I need one too. And, you know, and so we, that's, that's kind of how I got started. And every time I'd see one, I'd, you know, I'd go to a farm sale and I'd sit there and I'd think, well, he has one of these and I'd watch the price of it. And then I'd see the next one sell. And I was like, well, that last one was a really good deal. This one's not. And then the next one that I'd see sell, like, well, this one's a good deal. So I'd buy it. Yeah. I guess I kind of never sold anything either. <laughs> and I don't know that that's right, but I don't think most farmers ever no, I don't think so. Uh, I guess I have that. I used to make fun of people or older guys for being the ones that never sold anything. And I, I'm the same way now. I let it rot in the weeds before it, <laughs> before I get rid of it. But I liked plows and stuff like that. And I liked equipment. And so, uh, it was fun for me to make, make my own stuff or, you know, piece stuff together. I always thought that was really fun. And, uh, so I would buy two or three plows and then make one out of it. You know, I guess, you know, my first couple years farming, I really, like I, I tried to just pay cash for everything that I did. I didn't really borrow. I didn't go borrow a bunch of money to go buy a fancy tractor or anything. I just, uh, after that second year, I just kind of, I just kind of did everything with cash. And again, I had help. I, I think to do this, you have to have help. You've got to have somebody helping you out somehow or another. And so I wasn't forced to jump out there and go, you know, I knew I wanted to use GPS, but I didn't have to go buy GPS my first year. You know, I got to use somebody else's and, uh, and then eventually you get to the point that, you know, you can justify it. And that's, that's kind of what I did. Um, and I, I think farmers in general, you're always going to have equipment. Like you're always going to want to strive for something else. Like right now I, I can't afford it, but I want a 16 row planter really bad. And you know, I mean, that's something, and I think I need, I know I need it. I mean, it's one of those deals that, you know, I would much rather run, one and have one guy running one then have two guys running two of them and so that's in the works it's just you just have to wait until the right time to do it you know you're always striving for something else whether it's farmland or equipment or you know what do you look for in varieties nowadays for sure whenever we first started again we can kind of go back to the dry land thing i always looked for something that was pretty good on dry land and not even move it to some irrigated just because if it's good on dry land then it's going to be good on irrigated too and then we started getting into this this quality thing that was such a important factor uh in our operations and now that's 100 percent of what i'm after is quality uh those you know even if it's you know whenever you look at it just on a per pound basis 
you know, if it's 51 or 52 cents, you're going, oh, that's pretty good. But then if it's 55, 56 cent cotton, at those those few cents really, really add up. And uh, I think all of these varieties nowadays just, I mean, if they're trying to sell us something, it's gone through so much that they'll all make cotton. And that's what's amazing how some of this stuff nowadays just, well, like last year on Dryland, how we planted all this stuff and it never rained on it and it still made a plant and still we still stripped some of it. And that's unbelievable to me. I mean, it wasn't good, but we stripped it. And, uh, but I mean, I definitely look at something that has to be hardy enough to make it through, make it through our harsh weather. It's going to have to, it, it needs to be able to wait a little while on a rain for the dry land stuff. That's, that's what I look for. I I look for something that's going to try to do fairly well with no rain, grade decent and come up good. That's the biggest one I think for me is trying to come up well. (laughs) <laughs> we, we've we've had a few problems with some stuff in the last years. I know you and I have talked about it a couple times. It's just that it makes me mad whenever you go out and plant something and you know everything's perfect and it doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. And this seed's so expensive. I mean, in my opinion, it all needs to come up. As much as we pay for it, don't tell me it's only 80% germ. That's just not right. <laughs> but uh, and And we do. We live in... We live in one of the harshest places to farm anything, in my opinion. I mean, it's if if it doesn't rain, then it rains too much, or it you know crusts it in, or and then it comes up and blows it out. I mean, it's just there's so many different factors. But uh, I, I think that emergence, you know, whenever you see something that comes up and just takes off in a hurry, it always seems to do better in the end, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If it comes up and struggles for two weeks, three weeks, it seems like it struggles its whole life. And another thing I look for is storm tolerance. And I think the bigger the bigger we get, the bigger operations we get, you can't necessarily get to it in time. And so it needs to be able to take a ice storm like we had in November. That was that was bad. There was a lot of cotton left on the ground if you didn't have the right varieties. Uh, and I mean, it was like a nearly a little hailstorm. And so uh, that's a, that's a big thing, especially with dry land, because again, we have. We have so much money in this irrigated, so we always go to the irrigated first. You know, let's get all the irrigated out, and then we'll move to the dry land. That dry land needs to be able to sit and wait. You know, it needs to sit and wait on a rain, and then sit and wait to get harvested. <laughs> it's a lot to ask, but uh, varieties. I always thought it was really neat to plant a bunch of different varieties, and I would have you know even not that many acres, and I'd still have five, six, seven, eight different varieties throughout you know i'd even have two or three on the same farm you know just to watch them and it it's funny how these companies don't ever they don't keep one around very long like they just change it i mean it, you know they'll have it for two or three years and you'll find one you like and then you got to change to something else but uh this year i'm i've changed some stuff up and i'm only planting two varieties across everything i have one dry land and one irrigated you delta pine 1822 on dry land and fiber max 2498 on the irrigated so uh, we'll see how that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's simple. And I had both of those last year. Neither of those are new for me. I had both of them and found that I liked them. And knowing my luck, they'll probably get rid of them next year. <laughs> I think varieties play a big, big role. And I mean, you can, you can see like night and day differences and stuff. And I've had a few trials and stuff done on me, whether it's dry land or irrigated, whatever it is. And you're just going, wow, this is, it's amazing how different they are, but they all do something well. They all have a place. You know, and I, I tried to, I guess I try to pick one. I really don't have any farms that are, have a crazy amount of vert 
or, or anything like that or any we don't really deal with nematodes around here uh, i guess most of our soil is tight enough that we don't we don't have to deal with that but um i guess that there is some vert around and I, i've got one place that kind of has it's on the ends of it that it's it's kind of bad but uh so I, I do look at that i'm not saying that i don't look at it but for me it as, at this time it's not that big of a deal mm-hmm. uh but I, I, I see people's reasoning why they need it because there's some farms that you got to have it. I mean, yeah, you just sure. you just can't grow anything if you don't. So maybe it's because I don't have enough water. I'm not sure. <laughs> What's your philosophy whenever it comes to managing finances and different inputs? Well, a couple years ago, I started using QuickBooks. And I mean, I can get pretty close to what it costs me per acre to do each thing and as i've i think the like where i borrow my operating money my bank is pretty they're pretty sticklers on like having stuff set up in the way i mean like you say i'm gonna spend you know 52 dollars an acre on seed i'm gonna spend this much on fertilizer this much on this this much on this and they want you to write it down and see it and uh i think that was it's really helped me because i i figure out exactly what what i have in it and i think that's really big thing in farming today is you have to know exactly what you have in it there's guys that are better at it than me as far as pulling the plug and saying okay we've got too much in it turn the water off i, I can't do that <laughs> and luckily I've, i i don't know that i've ever necessarily had to do it i've you know i i'll look at you know like right now our fertilizer prices are insanely high and you know i'm I kind of lucked out a little bit. I booked some fertilizer early. Other, I booked all my pre-plant stuff early. I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. All the stuff that we're going to put out in the summer, I don't know. And I was looking at that the other day going, well, we might we might want to maybe plant a little thinner and not put out as much fertilizer. You know, maybe not shoot for the stars on some of this stuff. It may not be a year like that. I, I don't know. I just I just think knowing your – and knowing your break even, that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, if you can – you know, if you know you can sell it at 75 cents – you know, you need to know where, where to stop. I mean, where, you know, figure out what your profit margin is and stick in it. And, uh, I'm not great at it, but I can get close. <laughs> you know, I know again, there's people that are way better at it than I am, but that the QuickBooks thing really helped me. Cause you could like divide everything out and you could, you know, say this farm makes this much, this farm has this much water. I can grow this much here. I can grow this much here and you can divide all that stuff out and see it on a page. And that to me, that's, that's really important. I don't look at the broad spectrum. I mean, I don't. I don't just look at all of my irrigated acres and all of my dryland acres and say, you know, let's spend this much on all of it. I mean, I look at each farm because even dryland, each farm is different. I know. I know one. This one place might make this much, and this place might make this much. So, kind of figure out what you can do. And I mean, I wish I could say that I go to each farm and 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 every one of them is done differently it's not like i just told you i mean i've got two varieties that we're planning on ever farm but that would be really cool i'm just not i'm not that good who's been the biggest influence on you in farming or in life in general i guess well growing up i would say my granddad was i mean i was with him all the time and he was a farmer and that's what i wanted to be uh and then I guess whenever I moved over here, I mean, I, I think the people that you learn from, the people that you learn to farm from probably are your biggest influences. I mean, I, I think you learn to think like them. You learn to, to, I know there at the end, whenever we were farming together, I mean, it was, it was nearly a, 
without I could do something and he was thinking it or I was thinking it and he was doing it. I mean, it was just whenever you're around somebody that much, I guess they, they become a big influence on you. And, uh, you know, he's, he's very successful and that's, that's kind of who you want to mimic, I guess. And that's, that's kind of what I did. I tried to, tried to copycat mm-hmm. <laughs> getting me into agriculture, getting me to love farming, I guess would be my granddad for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, that's, that's where I spent every day when we're growing up and I just, Wanted to be like him. He farmed around Oddly? North of Oddly, yeah. Do you have any daily habits that you think help you in farming? One, and again, I got it from the guy that started me out, but uh, I keep a diary every day. Mm-hmm. And I started it, I, I guess I kind of started it working for him. And at that time, I was just keeping hours i mean like i make your brother keep the same thing i'm hoping i'm starting with him because it really it really works but uh like i write down every day what i do what my hands do what uh whether we're spraying something you know if we're spraying a quarter roundup and four ounces of dicamba and 16 ounces of lv6 that's what we're doing right now i wrote it down in my book that that's what i sprayed on x form uh whenever it rains you write it down i know like so which i grow a lot of cover crops uh, our cover crops aren't doing really well right now, but I actually look back in my diary from last year, and uh, I guess it was at the f- in the first of March. For some reason, I wrote down it was a Sunday morning, and I drove around and looked at cover crops, and I wrote really, really bad. So last year it worked out, and I mean, you know, I didn't remember that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I mean, I write down a pretty detailed diary on what I do every day. And I think that's really helpful. Yeah. And I'm sure some people do it on an iPad or something like that. I don't. I write it in a, just a day planner. Yeah. But my dad just has a notebook he keeps in his. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I it, try to do it, but it's hard. It is hard. Work. It is. It is really hard. And like I was, I'm. A, I was a little far behind actually. And like so, last week I, I had to sit down and try to remember back. You know, well, I know on Wednesday I did this, and so I wrote that down and. You know, sometimes I'll have to go through text messages and stuff trying to figure out what I was talking about with so-and-so, trying to remember what what we did but, uh, or look back in his book. That's a pretty good routine to, to do. Or even, you know, like as far as irrigation stuff, you know, you sit there and you remember, go, well, it was really dry last year and we put out two inches pre-plant and it worked, you know. Well, maybe that's all we need to do this time around or it wasn't enough, so let's do another inch. So, And there may be easier ways to do that, but I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. And it's kind of cool to look back at them too. I've uh, I've looked back at gyms before. Like you can look back twenty years and read some of them and go, "That's pretty awesome," you know. And like I said, I keep all of them. I usually keep all of them with like all my paperwork from the year before. Like I'll just stick the book book on top. Twenty mm-hmm. twenties uh, is still on my desk right now because I was looking through it the other day trying to figure out what chemical we sprayed somewhere. I can remember the name of it. Whenever you started, did anyone try to discourage you from farming, or did you have pretty good support? I don't know that anybody really discouraged me from doing it. Uh, I, I, and no, I would, I would really would say that I had really good support. I never have thought about that, but yeah. Uh, I guess I knew, I, I guess growing up around it, I guess I knew the risks, you know, I didn't, I knew that sometimes it didn't rain. Sometimes it rained too much, you know I mean? Or what our prices are good. Prices are bad. And I guess that's kind of what drew me to it. I mean, it's, it's it's never the same you know and i guess like my family and stuff again whenever you farm carpet for you know 
10, 15 solid years of your life and still buy tractors whenever you're 30 years old. I mean, little tractors. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess I've, I've, I've thought about like, what if I was doing something different and I don't, I don't want to, like, I don't want to think about that. And I know whenever I was in college and did an internship, uh, I had a great time. I mean, I did one with PCCA. It was, it was fun. I liked the people. I learned a lot, but it was like I was, I couldn't wait until five o'clock so I could get out of the office and go to work. You know what I mean? And I knew at that point, I was like, there's just nothing else I need to be doing. So, and I guess, I guess the people that you love, everybody, they know. So no, I wasn't discouraged at all. What's the biggest challenge you've encountered since you've been farming? Hmm. I think really and truly it's kind of happening right now for me. I mean, as I've really 100% branched solely out on my own, trying to, well, number like what we talked about earlier about kind of making a name for yourself. I think that that is a challenge um, because I mean, really up until probably the last two years, I think there's a lot of people that just thought that I worked for the guy before a few people knew, but like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily go out and tell everybody what I'm doing and neither does he. And so nobody, nobody really understood. But then the, the day that you're out there, you know, and it's not like I just got kicked out one year. I mean, this was years and years and years and years in the making, but whenever you're finally to that point and you're going, wow, this is all me doing this. It was, it was, that was, that was kind of scary, I think. And trying to, I guess I was accustomed to an operation that has been around for 70 years, 60, 70 years. And then me have, since I've been doing this for 10, trying to, you know, hold myself back and say, well, you know, you're not going to be able to go, you know, do it like this because they've been at it for 70 years or they've had this stuff, you know, trying to, trying to have all this stuff that they have had that they've accumulated over 70 years is really hard to, to, you know, well, I mean, you kind of get to the point, you just can't afford it. I mean, you can't afford to do what they've been doing. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's pretty hard. That's tough. You know, so you're going, well, we're not going to have a, you know, super nice shop to work in. You know, this is just, that, that took 50 years to build. So I think that was a big challenge or that it is a big challenge and I'm hundred percent going through it right now. Just like comparing yourself to other operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not necessarily comparing, but just, it, well, I guess it would be comparing where you just, you just, you can't do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it took it took generations to pay for that stuff. I can't do it in two years. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that kind of goes back to that breakthrough thing too, which you said you're still waiting for yours, and I guess to some extent I'm still waiting for mine too. <laughs> so, I think this is this one's it. This, yeah, is, this is this is this is the year. We got high prices and wet wet ground. Do you plant any cover crops? I I plant. I guess I've kind of gone through the full cycle on this and of course I started out full conventional till and you know I think there's still a place for all of that at times too uh like I said before I'm not selling my sand fighters and I'm not selling my disc betters but uh I I plant I started out planting cover crops behind the stripper and still growing cotton on cotton I wasn't necessarily doing a crop rotation in the middle of it. And um, I'm, I still am on a lot of places, but I'm working towards that rotation. Uh, I I think that's the only way to go, in my opinion. 
it lets the soil rest. I think you can save a lot of money on fertilizer. I think you can save a lot of money on uh, all your inputs, really, uh, and, and make the same amount of cotton on half the ground. I mean, it just makes sense. And I'm, I'm headed there. And I, I, there's, like I said, there's, there's always places for certain things. I don't think you can do it on 100% of your acres, or I can't. Uh, I know some people that do, but I can't. That, that whole 50-50 wheat cotton rotation thing works around here. And, you know, you can't, it's, it's one big, big problem with that is trying to talk landlords into it. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing, especially these older guys. And the worst ones are the oldest guys that have farmed in the past. Because, number one, they remember what it was like 40, 50 years ago. And, you know, you ask, <laughs> you ask them, and I, I, one of my landlords, and he's, he's a lot of fun to kind of talk with about stuff like this. And he, he's a big numbers man. He likes, like, you can bounce some information off of him. And he, he gets it because he did it. But he didn't understand. I mean, we're not going to make the same amount of money off that farm. It's, it's what, it, what we're putting in it that we're saving. Is, I mean, it's, it's, you're not going to take a farm that makes 1,000 bells a year, you know, on cotton on cotton and expect to make a thousand off half the acres. But you know, if you could make six or 700 bales off that farm, then the amount of profitability in that is so much more because it costs you less to grow that 700 mm-hmm. bales or 600 bales. And he's sitting there looking at it because, well, you're not gonna make any money off wheat. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm not. But, and, and he's one that, that we share, we share a lot more expenses than most landlords. Um, he pays his share of, fertilizer he pays his share of the energy costs he pays for the well i mean he's 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 buying a lot more than most so it really makes sense to him because it costs him less Mm -hmm. to grow cotton but there's still some things that he doesn't pay for and seeds one of them and this this is what got him whenever i finally said okay i said what did you pay for a bag of seed in 1970 whenever you were farming he's like oh i don't know five bucks six bucks and i was like okay i'm paying 400 you know, and he's like, oh, and, and he, I mean, he wrote down this, it was hilarious. He wrote down like two or three pages on like a pad, like a legal pad, just like that of, you know, if you do this with wheat, you're not, you're not going to, if, or if this is, if you do this with Milo and sell it for this and this and this and this, and, and then he goes, and this is what you made last year. There is no way that you're going to be able to get to this. And I was like, you're right. I don't. But the only thing that I don't see on that piece of paper is the cost of what it costs me to grow it. It's like seed, fuel, labor. A tractor. I said, "What did you pay for a tractor? Fifteen thousand? Okay, now we're paying one hundred and fifty thousand. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, that's a big deal trying to get those guys to do it. And there's as I'm working, I, I'm working towards this. And uh, a few of my landlords, I, I told them I was like, let's hit a really good year, like on dry land, especially. I said, let's hit a really good dry land year, and then start the rotation." You know, we've been growing cotton on cotton or well, the last several years out here, out south of town. I mean, we hadn't had a crop anyway. And I hate, you can't, you can't tell them, well, okay, this year I'm only going to plant half your field in cotton and uh, the other half, we haven't made anything. I hadn't made any money off of it other than insurance in the last two or three years. You can't, you can't do that. And really and truly it's set up to make an awesome crop. So I guess the, the conventional side of me wants to make a really, really good crop off of the whole farm. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but I, I just said, let's make a really good one and then let's cut it in half. And I keep, I've been telling them this for three or four years. I said, let's hit a good one. And then when we hit the good one, then we're going to start a rotation. And I said, then I think that's the best time to do it. Um, 
and most of them have agreed. I, I don't know that I've had. I don't know that I have any that have just flat said no. So, uh, and then I think at that point the cover crop thing may not be as as big of a deal. I, I don't do any of the the six species cover crop, the radishes and all that. I, I think it sounds really cool. And I, I know guys up north. I've got a lot of friends up north that where it rains. That I mean, it is. It's it's neat. But I just don't think we get enough moisture around here to do it. And I, I can't, I can't force myself to water a cover crop. I just, I just can't do it. And I know, I know people that do it. And it, if it works for them, that's great. But uh, water's a pretty precious resource around here. And trying to grow a crop that you're going to kill anyway just doesn't make sense to me. You know, that's why I'm not selling my sand fighter. <laughs> if you don't have one, then we're going old school, I guess. <laughs> What do you think makes a successful farmer? Being really good at a lot of different things. <laughs> and asking for help whenever you need it. All farmers like to talk about themselves. And if you just ask, it's there's a lot of information there. And look at the successful people and say, hey, why, why did you do it that way? And they're always willing to tell you. You may have to ask, you know, but they're always willing to tell you how. And I think that I think that helps a lot. It's, it's not like... I don't just do things the way the guy that started me out. I, I mean, I don't, I don't do everything exactly the way he does it. I do a lot of stuff the way he does it. And I've asked him a lot of questions, but you know, I might ask the neighbor or even friends, you know, I, I run around with a lot of guys that are, you know, my age and, and farming and we sit around uh, tables at taco village on Thursdays at lunch and, you know, talk farming and you sit there <laughs> And you take you take some of that stuff home, and you have to. So, uh, I mean, even even if you don't like what they're doing, maybe you go, "Well, I know I don't want to do that," but just listening to other people, I think, helps a lot. I think that makes you very successful. And whether it's marketing, actually physically the agronomy side of stuff, or uh, working on equipment, whatever whatever it is, mm-hmm. I think you know, being quiet and shutting your mouth for a minute, letting somebody else talk, sure does help out. What goals do you have for your farming operation? I think my biggest goal right now is to buy land. Like I don't, I don't own any land right now. Uh, that's that's where I want to be. I don't want to be the biggest farmer around by any stretch. I just, I, I eventually want to get to the point where I own what I farm, and that's that's my biggest goal. And. And I think it's really, really neat whenever you own what you farm and you can finance yourself and not have to worry about anybody else. And I, th- I, th- I think that should all be all farmers' goals, you know, not have to worry about somebody else and do your own thing. So what's your favorite thing about farming? That every day is never the same. And sometimes, sometimes it makes you want to pull your hair out whenever you have this great plan, you know, like, Oh, tomorrow we're going to do this, 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 and this. And then you get there or you get out there and everything changes. And I guess just the chaos and that really, I like that. I, I think it's fun. I, I just, well, like whenever I was doing that internship and sitting in an office every day, you knew what you were doing the day before. And it was the same as the next day and the next day and the next day. And it just, it just didn't work for me, and I just I love I love the chaos in it. And then another thing too, kind of being your own boss and not, you know, 
I mean, and I guess I'm to the point now where other people rely on me. I mean, like, so I I can't just not go to work one day. But, you know, whenever it got really cold, what was that, a month ago or whatever it was, and you're just going to be like, well, I'm just going to sit by the fire and watch TV today. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's pretty nice. <laughs> uh, that's why you need some cows. I, and I want cows. That that should we should say that in the goals. I, I want cows. Yeah, that is definitely one of my goals. I, I want and and being around Crosbyton, which again I grew up in Idaho, so everything's flat there. There's no canyon land. I mean, that's super cool. I I, I want to own some land on the canyon and have cattle. I just think that's fun. I don't want to be a rancher. I don't want thousands and thousands of cows, but I want twenty five or thirty mama cows and just enough to make me mad whenever they all get out on Fourth of July and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> And I like working too. Like I like I like being outside. I like being on the farm. I like the I like the physical side of it. You know, I, I'm I don't I don't windshield farm by any stretch. I, I'm right there next to somebody in a ditch or whatever we need to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's fun. Like I said, I, I couldn't imagine just sitting not doing anything. You know, and I know <laughs> like. I always used to laugh at my uncle in Idaho. He was uh, he worked at the courthouse and like at the Lubbock County Courthouse. He was assistant DA there forever, and it was hilarious whenever he would come home. I mean, they have like their backyard is just beautiful. I mean, it's just tons and tons of flowers, and and I mean, he gets out at six o'clock in the morning every morning and waters each one of these pots every morning all by hand and all this stuff. And I just ne- growing up, I just never could understand why he did that. And I was like, why? Why would you do that? Well, he sits in an office all day, and to be outside like that, I mean, he just that that's where he eats that up. And I guess I'm the same way. It's just it's my work, so I, I guess I guess it's kind of a a dream for a lot of people that you know you actually get to be outside and and see stuff grow and and that's another thing too i i, I think it's i think it's challenging and it and it's really rewarding i think farming is the most rewarding profession out there because you get to see something that is you know you put it in the ground even if it let's take dry land for instance you go dry plant a little bitty tiny seed and you're going oh my gosh it's never going to rain and then one day a cloud rolls in and rains. It happened in 2013. I remember that first, the year, my quotation, breakthrough year. But, you know, we, we dry planted every single acre. And on June 5th, we were driving tractors home and after dry planting all this stuff and rain came in and, you know, we got two or three inches of rain and then got two or three good rains throughout the summer. And that was so rewarding to see that. And I guess being able to... to see something that long it, that it takes that long to actually get an end product is is pretty cool it's just rewarding it's very rewarding okay we'll bring the taco village thing whenever everybody gets to talking and you get to talking about farming it for some reason it always comes back to harvest because i think that's every farmer's favorite time of year is harvest and we had some awesome times you know stripping cotton i mean whether it's like even me now i mean we have some good times and you still talk about you remember the night whenever this so-and-so happened and or uh you know in farming with Jim, all those years we just had some great great times and you know even if you had to stay out there until two or three o'clock in the morning you were dog tired by the time it was over with but it was it was still cool you know i remember being out there behind the two-story house one time and a big snowstorm blowing in and i think it was about 10 or 11 o'clock and we were close to finishing but it was one of those deals we were just in a good routine and everybody was all 
touching on all cylinders and i mean we were just shooting modules and it was a good crop year and uh it's just fun and i remember jim got on the radio of course he was he's afraid that everybody was too tired you know and it, that's a hard call now that i'm doing this on my own too is trying to decide whenever you pull the plug and say okay we're gonna leave a little and let the rain get on it but i don't want to hurt all the people that are working for me but Remember, he got on the radio and goes, guys, we're, we're pretty close. If y'all want to stay and finish, we can. If not, we'll quit. And everybody's like, well, let's just keep rolling. And I remember we rolled until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and it would snow, and then it'd quit, and then it'd snow again and rain, and we just kept pulling through it. And we just and I, I could every time I'd turn, I could see the end. You know, you could see the end, and we just got closer and closer, and we finished it up. And I just remember, and it, it, he was he's like, well, tomorrow, you know, we won't worry about it. You know, we're, we won't work the next day. And uh, it did. It had this big snow that came in, and it, it was. We were proud that we finished it. You know, we had all these mod. We made forty something modules that day. I mean, it was just. It was cool. That's what. That's part of the stuff you like about it, I guess. What you love about farming. And that's it for this week. Thank y'all so much for listening, and don't forget to check back again soon for another episode about the people of the plains. I don't know the answers, but the questions fill my head.